Thursday, July 16th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Mr. Jason Moser. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. It's, you feel the excitement of earnings season? You feel it? Well, I'm feeling the excitement of the Open Championship, but you know, <laughs> earnings season as well. Earnings Palooza. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's a lot of work. I, I like earnings season, man. I mean, I. I know we don't really focus on such a short-term, uh, you know, sort of time time frame as that, but I mean, earnings season to me, we always learn something new. There's always eventful. There's always stuff to talk about. It's a checkup. It is. I just, like it. Just a little checkup on how the business is doing. We're going to talk Intel, eBay. Let's start with Netflix because that is the stock that is moving this morning, up around fourteen uh, percent. A lot of numbers to go over. Yeah. My eyes always gravitate to the subscriber number, 3.3 million new subscribers. And you tell me what what, what leaped out at you. But the 3.3 million subscribers just, they're just cranking out more good content. And in this case, it's Daredevil and Orange is the New Black. Yeah, I, I mean, you're right to be, to, to look at the subscriber numbers. I mean, that's the number that really matters right now. Um, and, and it was very impressive. I mean, last quarter they projected two and a half million net additions, with 1.9 million of those coming from their international segments. We can see the growth really for this business right now is is the international presence, and I think that's what's you know that's what's really lighting the fire under them to keep you know expanding as rapidly as possible. The actual numbers they added 3.28 million. Net subscribers with 2.37 million of those coming from international. That's 2.37 versus 1.9. So they exceeded those subscriber numbers in every measure. And, and when you do that, I mean, and they they historically, I think, had a this was this was historically a pretty weak quarter for them. Like uh, going going years back, and and, um, and this one really was different. And so, I mean, it, it shows that obviously they're doing a lot of things right. And I think. You know, when you look at the total subscriber growth of thirty-one percent, and you see the sales growth of twenty-nine percent, as long as those are kind of you kind of in line there, that's that's always good to know. Uh, then, I mean, the one the other the other thing I like looking at is just the streaming content obligations, and that's that big billion-dollar you know number that just continues to rise quarter and quarter out for all the obligations that they that they make towards getting that content. Um, it is now over ten billion dollars. And I know that probably makes a lot of people say, "Whoa, you got to be kidding me! They got all that debt they got to pay off." I mean, it takes a lot of cash to make this business work, and it's always going to be that way. And you know, until they have their own library of content that they just straight up own, but they're always going to be producing new stuff. And so, as long as you see that streaming content obligation growth stay kind of in line with sales growth and subscriber growth, then then things are going well. And that that content obligation growth was thirty one percent, which is you know right in that same range as the other two metrics. So I mean, I think all in all, you know, the market is right to be very happy about this quarter. And, and I think. You know, you got a lot of a lot of good things to look forward to with them still. Well, and that's why when you think about the cost of content, when this issue of sports programming gets raised every now and then, well, they should get into sports, and they've said flat out, no, we're not doing that. Yeah, they really should. And and it's like, <laughs> no, they really shouldn't. Yeah. Because for the amount of money that a new series like Daredevil or the second season of a series like Orange is the New Black which is always going to you know any series that's successful Netflix is going to be paying more for the second season than they are for the first yeah um, but it's it pales in comparison to the rise 
in the cost of live sports programming. Sport which, pro, yeah. Which is, it, it almost doesn't matter what the sport is. And it, it really, it doesn't. I mean, you know, year in and year out, you see the numbers thrown around for these deals that are negotiated, and it is amazing to think about. And, you know, I mean, it's just, I'm all for Netflix just really doing one thing and doing it really well, which is what they're doing right now. And and I don't see any reason for them to try to expand into something that really. I mean, I don't know that they would necessarily really do sports all that well. I mean, it takes a, it takes a lot really to 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 nail that. And I mean, I'll I'll just reference this past U.S. Open golf tournament where it went from NBC Sports that's held it forever to Fox Sports. And I think by most measures, most viewers were very very disappointed in Fox's coverage. It just wasn't good. Now, over time, maybe they'll get better. I'm sure they probably will. But my point is, it's not easy to do that stuff. And and so, for Netflix to, to say, okay, we're going to jump in there and do that, man, that's going to require a, a whole lot more cash. Um, so, for now, I mean, the market's kind of paying up for what they see as this business at some point sort of achieving that HBO um, operating operating margin uh, level, which is is significant. Netflix doesn't have it now because they're still building that that library of content out. They'll get there eventually, and their growth will slow down eventually. You know what happens from there? Who knows? But I mean, this is this is still a company very much in growth mode, and I think investors, uh, you know, should stick around. Um, a week ago. I mentioned uh, the launch of the new podcast that David Gardner, co-founder of The Motley Fool, is hosting. The Rule Breaker Investing Podcast is a weekly podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, pretty much everywhere you can find podcasts. Um, Netflix is absolutely one. like That is smack in the wheelhouse of David Gardner's investing philosophy. This is a rule breaker company. And I believe what he tweeted last night was that his original cost basis, when when he first recommended it in the Motley Fool Stock Advisor service, I think it's a dollar eighty five. Yeah, I mean that's amazing. <laughs> like you, 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 yeah. So if I you mean, followed David on that one, you're doing fine. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you know, I was thinking about this when I think about you know the kinds of businesses that we look for here, and and you, I, I look at Netflix and Amazon, and I see so many parallels there. I was talking about this earlier. They're two very customer-centric businesses, founder leaders who are totally committed, tremendous brand loyalty they've built up over time, great service. I mean, the market pays up for that stuff. And, so I, and, I, and also, are, both businesses, not really making a lot of profit. No, not really <laughs> making a lot of profit, but they are businesses that are plowing everything they make back into the business. And and so, you know, if everybody wants to criticize Amazon, we're the profits. Well, there's all those fulfillment centers they keep building at Netflix, we're the profits. Well, it's all it's all that content that they're growing at. So, you know, I mean, there's going to be a point in time where these businesses aren't growth businesses, but at that time is not now. Let's move over to Intel. Second quarter profit of 2.7 billion. Revenue for the quarter thirteen point two billion. Both of those numbers higher than expected. Yeah, let's just compare that for a second. Different businesses. Speaking of not growth businesses, <laughs> Netflix's revenue total revenue for the quarter one point six five billion. That doesn't even come close to the profit that Intel made, and yet it is such a big mature company that the stock, when I checked this morning, up about one percent. Uh, makes me feel just a little bit bad for <laughs> Intel when they're when they're making that kind of money. Uh, beating handily uh, on on the profit side, and the stock's just sort of like, eh. 
Yeah, it's one we hold in, in MDP today, and we're, we're kind of kicking around what exactly we want to do with it. Because you're right, this is a very mature business. And not only is it a mature business, it's a business that's in transition. It's kind of having to sort of you know, change its direction and, and becoming more of sort of the growth, focusing on the growth in like the data center and memory and Internet of Things type type offerings. And so, you know, to, to be fair, the bar was set relatively low, I think, by analysts for this quarter. So, you know, congratulations, Intel, for, for you know, Clearing that bar, but you know this, these these chip companies are, are cyclical at best, and until they can prove, uh, you know that they're able to sort of make this transition into you know into data, into the Internet of Things, and how they can really monetize that, I think the market's right to really kind of question how how much. How much room the stock has wrong? Because I mean, it gave. I think it was up seven to some odd percent after hours yesterday, and it's given all of that back. You know, and that that typically happens after the earnings call, and so the call uh, obviously wasn't enough to satiate uh, you know analyst expectations for the coming quarters. What did you make of the Altera acquisition? I mean, I, consolidation in this in this sector is is just gonna be a part of it. It's it's happening because scale is so crucial in this in this business. And you know, to your point about the profitability side of Intel, how much they can actually generate on that bottom line. I mean, that that is due large in part to to just a very big business. I mean, scale is key here, and so I, I don't think um, that was necessarily the wrong thing to do. Um, there are risks anytime you make acquisitions. It's just you know when you look at you look at Intel and you kind of wonder about the picture going forward. It's just not the most compelling growth style of investment. Now, with that said, uh, they do pay a dividend, and I'm sure they'll continue to grow that dividend. And so, for investors looking for a little uh, you know dividend sort of style of investment, you know this is certainly a market leader. It's very relevant still, and it's one one worth keeping an eye on. Uh- it makes me think of the old line. Um, I don't know if it's specific to the mutual fund industry, but I always associate it with the mutual fund industry that you know no fund manager ever got fired for buying IBM. <laughs> and I feel I feel like Intel is sort yeah. of in that category. Probably, now, where probably. it's just like, well, you're not you know you're not going to get dinged for for you know it's yeah. a big stable dividend paying. That's exactly it. It's just giant. one of those just blue chips that it's going to be around. You're not going to go broke with it. Uh, you know, you, you can buy it and pretty much hang on to it forever for the in- income in- implications. And uh, yeah, it's not a business that's going to evaporate overnight. On the surface, eBay's second quarter sort of looked mixed. It was the whole, well, they, they did a little bit better than expected on the profit, a little bit lower than expected on the revenue. Uh, but the stock popping a little bit this morning. Um, is it just what am I missing? Is it just the fact that they are about to spin off PayPal? Is it the the enterprise sale? Because that was that was seemed to catch people by surprise that they are, uh, at least according to this report in the Wall Street Journal, that they are selling their enterprise unit for I don't know a billion dollars or just under a billion. Yeah, I mean I'm not sure why that's a surprise to some. I mean we knew that was a possibility, and I think it makes perfect sense because it was not the chief moneymaker of this business to begin with, and I think you saw you see a lot of their customers, uh, bigger customers that are considering bringing their sort of e-commerce operations in house, and so I think I think selling that enterprise out of the business made perfect sense, particularly with the, with the split up coming. So I think number one is you know the market. Likes certainty. Obviously, there's more certainty here with with eBay now than probably ever before, and, and I think that 
also, th- to me, this is more a PayPal story going forward. And you know, owners of, of eBay will get those PayPal shares, and and I think ultimately that's what people want more than those eBay shares. I mean, when you look at the the guidance going forward, I mean, it's not the most robust business. When you look at guidance for the PayPal business, they see growth of, of 15 to 18% for the, for the year for PayPal versus 3 to 5% for for the eBay standalone business. So, it's not going to be the same type of growth story. Now, with that said, they do hold a a nice Chunk of market share in that in that on you know, e-commerce space, and and they've developed a, a very reputable and recognizable brand, and I think they'll continue to do well. Um, I'm going to be really interested in what happens with uh, Mercado Libre after all of this is said and done, because eBay owns about 18.4 percent of the shares outstanding in Mercado Libre, which is like the eBay of Latin America, and and as the as the uh, middle class consumer starts starts to really uh, rise in in Latin America, Mercado Libre stands to do very well, and they are doing very well. So I'm going to be really interested to see kind of what comes of that. Um, if if maybe eBay decides to try to buy that outright, um, because that is a business where they have their own payments segment, and so I mean it's 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 kind of like eBay is now. Um, but you know, I mean, I I think uh, this is one we've got on the watch list in MVP now. I think we're really excited about the PayPal implications. Obviously, PayPal just bought Zoom, which I'm a little, I'm a little bitter about that still, Chris. I'm not I'm not going to lie. I'm not over it yet. Still hoping for a competing bid. I don't think that's going to happen, but. When you look at PayPal's overall market opportunities, like sixty plus trillion dollars in everything, when you look at uh, you know everything from debit payments, mobile payments to point of sale solutions, it's just it's ridiculous how big the market opportunity actually is, and the number of ways that they can win. Uh, PayPal is definitely one that that is on my radar. With e-commerce, I'm probably going to stick with my Mercado Libre shares and Amazon shares and just uh, call it a day. Uh, you just reminded me, I meant to forward you this email we got from a listener, Kathy Fairbanks. Um, and This was earlier in the month when we were talking about Zoom. Um, she wrote to us, radio at fool.com is our email address. She wrote, I'm unclear, even after the lengthy conversation on the podcast today, why Zoom being bought by PayPal is such a bummer for Jason Moser. Is it because he thought they could make it on their own and the stock price would climb for many years beyond just the $25 people will get? Um, yeah, that's, that's it. exactly it. It was <laughs> Kathy, is that her name? Kathy, Kathy, yes, that is precisely it. And and thank you for that question. I mean, that's that is a, a legitimate question. And I mean, I think a lot of times we look at these buyouts and think, all right, well, hey, man, that's that's a, that's a bird sometimes, in the hand right there, some, right? Let's be clear. Sometimes a buyout is a lifeline, and you just think, oh, thank God, <laughs> exactly. Thank God, I mean, someone bought this looking, company. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes they're really good, and you're kind of like happy because you get this really you know juicy premium. Um, but yeah, for me, honestly, I mean, I just saw so much potential with Zoom and where they could go and what they could do. And and we saw this as a business that was going to be significantly larger in five years than it is today, um, and, and we were looking forward to holding on to those shares. And it just you know it didn't work out. Um, it's unfortunate sometimes. It's a nice problem to have. You know, made a little money on on the deal, but but yeah, I just really wanted to watch watch it fulfill its potential. Well, and to go back to eBay, you mentioned the market like certainty. Uh, one thing we we have even more certainty on now is this is a marketplace business. Oh yeah, the enterprise is gone. PayPal's about to be spun off. Precisely. This is a marketplace business, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Uh, before we wrap up, I want to thank uh, William Barnes, longtime listener in Lowell, Massachusetts, uh, hometown of my, of my mom's. 
uh, Lowell, nice. Mass. Um, uh, he sent me a Pied Piper T-shirt. Oh, my favorite tech my company God, in the world, no and way. yours too, Pied Piper. Oh, I'm jelly. That's uh, so. I need to see that. Uh, Google reports after the market closes yes. today. Give me one thing to watch. In we their well, Google has a new CFO, Ruth Porat, and we are going to be focusing on her comments on the call. We're hoping she'll she'll speak on the call. The biggest question for Google right now really is has been on their cost side of their business. I mean, you look at sales growth over the past uh, you know num- number of years. Sales growth has not been as robust as their spending growth. And, you know they've been spending a lot in R and D and S G and A, and what we're seeing is a margin picture that's deteriorated significantly over the last five years. So you know I think there were a lot of investors that were pretty happy to see Miss Porat get this job. Um, you know, with the idea that she's going to come in there and kind of like tighten up their cost structure a little bit, focus a little bit less on the moonshots maybe, and a little bit more on the business and the competitive uh, headwinds that they're seeing with you know social media, Facebook. You know, it's, I think Google really has has missed that social boat completely, and so you know they they are facing I think a lot of challenges on a lot of fronts, and they really need to to tighten up that operation a little bit. Uh, you know, quit spending so much and see if they can't get that margin picture turned around. She uh, when that story broke, she. she from Morgan Stanley? I think that's it, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was unaware of her uh, before she got the job at Google, and just reading comments about her and her career, just huge respect for that woman. Yeah, I mean, her reputation is sterling. Exactly. So, it's a... a plum hire by I, Google. I think so. I mean, I, I can't recall the former CEO uh, CFO's name. It's not to say that he did a poor job. I just, he had been there for seven or so years, and I think he was part of that culture where it was more of a focus on moonshots and spending and really trying to, to witness the potential of things they could figure out. And so she's come in, you know, I think with a little bit of a different sort of view on things, and she's not quite of that same mindset. And I think that's going to be good for this company, actually. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.